0: History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.
1: Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books as I delve into... Unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of
0: course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class, listen wherever you get your podcasts.
1: What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised.
2: The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries, of curiosities of oddities join cat and jethro gilligan toth for the strange the bizarre the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities Hey,
3: it's good to be back after our holiday break. Hopefully, your holiday week was uh, as delightful as ours. Oh,
1: my goodness. It's, well, it's still happening. Yeah, it's. Christmas has become uh, something that is really interesting. When I was a kid, Christmas was a day. Uh, But now, as an adult, it's like a week and a half, and it's chock full of things I have to do.
3: One thing I did on, on Christmas Eve was read through a lot of the comments on the freak group. Uh, on facebook and i think that's going to be my new holiday tradition every christmas eve i'll do a dramatic reading of some of the uh, comments on our freak group
1: there are some really amazing ones so um my my favorite thing is that in order to uh join the the group you have to ask and when you ask, you are asked a question. And the question is basically, do you hereby swear that you'll be nothing but sweetness when you're a part of this group? And some responses are really amazing. Um, this one I saved. Do you want to do a dramatic reading of this one? Sure. Nicole wrote,
3: I do solemnly swear by the freakiness vested in me to do, say, feel, speak, nor post no harm or evil or dickheadedness or any other behaviors that are not filled with with love. I will not behave in a manner that is unbecoming to a freak.
1: Amen. let get the ukulele in there.
3: <laughs> Don't tempt me.
1: <laughs> I you, will get soft sell on your ass.
3: <laughs> it is your turn, girl.
1: Oh, we're just rolling right into it? Rolling him? right into it okay. today. I'm
3: so excited. I've missed your stories. <laughs> So. That's not true. We tell them to each other constantly. constantly.
1: All right, I hope you got some time on your hands. I Ow. Just <laughs> 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 I just hurt myself preparing to talk. <laughs>
3: okay. It's a verbal-related injury.
1: It is February 26, 1983 in Pennsylvania in a town called Stroudsburg. And we're talking about the story of Don Decker, also known as the Rain Man.
3: What year was this again? I'm sorry. 83. 1983. Correct. Okay, go.
1: Okay, so Don Decker is at the funeral of his grandfather. Uh, His grandfather's name was James. And uh, everyone at the funeral, of course, is mourning. They are um, heads down. They are solemn. They are sharing words of love and sweetness about James. But Don Decker uh, was feeling a little differently uh, because... Uh, He had not told anyone in the family that James, his grandfather, had abused him since the age of seven. So everyone around is having these big, warm, loving, emotional, sad feelings. And Don's actually feeling really resentful and angry and um, like, this is a good thing. Finally, this thing in his life was done. And uh He was having some big feelings. Let's put it that way. Now, Dom was currently on furlough. He was serving a four to 12-month prison sentence at a correctional facility for receiving stolen property. And he was allowed a furlough to attend this funeral uh, where he was having all these feelings. I don't know if maybe just staying in jail would have been better.
3: This is, um, at the very least, a combustible situation.
1: Interesting use of words.
3: Really? (laughs) Really? I'm kind of liking where this is going. Go ahead.
1: So Don is feeling that the evil in his life is finally gone. And uh, he had kind of a tumultuous relationship with his fam. Uh, he actually wasn't speaking with his mom at the time. And so after the funeral, he couldn't go like to his family home. Mm. Um, so he went and stayed with some friends of the family named Bob and Jeannie Kiefer. So that night, Don is uh, wrapping up the evening, and he felt a a chill creep over him, and suddenly he felt faint. He was in the restroom at the time, and he collapsed to the floor. He was on the bathroom tiles, and he said that he was kind of in a trance-like state. And he saw what he later described as an apparition of his dead grandfather looking over him. Oh, this gives me chills. So this is according to Mysterious Universe. Um, Don kind of panicked and snapped out of his trance. So he went downstairs and he discovered that he had gashes on his arms that were bleeding. And he told Bob, the guy that he was staying with, about what had happened to him. Um, He was describing the trance-like state uh, when all of a sudden there was this big, loud banging noise from upstairs. And the Kiefer's were like, what is happening? This house guest is stating that a ghost just hovered over him while he collapsed in the bathroom and now there's banging coming from upstairs. And
3: he's and he has cuts on his arm? Yeah, they're like, bleeding. Okay, they're bleeding. Alright. So, okay, go ahead.
1: Um, and then all of a sudden... Or all of the sudden, as some might say, um, water is dripping from their living room ceiling and walls.
3: Holy crap.
1: So the Kiefers obviously thought it was a plumbing problem. Um, but then they realized, wait, there aren't any pipes on this side of the house. And so they called their landlord, whose name is Ron Van Wy. And, uh, you know, it's his house. He's got to know what's going on. Uh, And so he arrived. He didn't have any answers, though, because there are no water pipes in that area of the house. And in fact, the leaks were becoming worse and water started actually coming up through the floor as well as dripping from the ceilings and walls. Meanwhile, Dawn had slipped back into a trance.
3: That's not something that's normally covered in the landlord-tenant agreement. Mm.
1: The landlord, Ron, is uh, later quoted as saying, we decided maybe it was the plumbing, but there were no pipes in that front end of the house. There was basically nothing there that water could have come from. After watching it for a while, I discovered that it wasn't only coming from the ceiling down, though... Water was not just falling downwards. It was also coming up from the floor and moving sideways. Water was, quote unquote, dripping horizontally along the walls. So at this point, Ron calls his wife.
3: I would have called a priest at that point.
1: He also called the police. And uh, police did arrive at the home because they are not knowing what to do here. Uh, Officers John Bojan and Richard Wolbert arrived at the home. And as soon as they're there, I mean, they're drenched in water. It's coming from everywhere. And the really interesting thing about this is it's happening just in the living room. Officer Bojan said, I literally had a chill going up my spine. Mm. It made the hair stand up on your neck. That's how I felt. This is a situation where things were happening that I never, ever dreamed could possibly happen. And there was no explaining (laughs) what was going on. Officer Wolbert later stated, We were just standing there in front of the door and met this droplet of water traveling horizontally. It passed in the air between us and into the next room.
3: So water's coming from every direction. Mm-hmm. And what time of year was this? February. Okay. And again, what what part of the country? Pennsylvania? Pennsylvania. Okay. All right. Well, it's possible that there was like an ice jam that had built up somewhere like mm-hmm. in the ceiling or something and then had begun to melt. But that would not um, explain... The velocity in which horizontal water droplets were shooting out of the wall.
1: That's where the questions really start to come in. Sure, ice jams. We all know about them. I mean...
3: Those of us who live in, you know...
1: Ice jammy places.
3: Exactly.
1: So, Don Decker's still in his trance and he's starting to look pretty ill. And the police officers told the Keefers to take him out of the house to a nearby pizzeria and let him rest there while they continue investigating. Hmm. As soon as he was out of the house, the strange water situation suddenly stopped. After a few moments of puzzling over this new development, uh, the kefers continued on to the restaurant. They arrived to the pizzeria, which was owned by a woman named Pam, and she had actually tootled on over to the house earlier uh, to witness this water situation. She was kind of freaked out by it, but mm. the neighbors came over to to find rest. And so she let them into the pizzeria and uh, she was pretty convinced that Don was possessed.
3: Again, I would have called a priest.
1: <laughs> so Pam's convinced that the devil is working through Don and suddenly it started raining in the pizzeria. No,
3: I knew you were going to say that. Did you? Yes. So it's following him.
1: So Pam runs to her register, and she pulls out the crucifix that obviously she keeps in her register.
3: Cash register crucifix.
1: Right. That goes under the 20s. And uh, she brought it over to the table, and Don immediately reacted to it. Uh, And when they touched the crucifix to his skin, uh, they claimed that it burned his flesh. Wow. So Pizza Pam is later quoted as saying— Wait
3: a minute, wait a minute. That reminds me of a story. Can I sidetrack for a moment?
1: About Pizza Pam? Or about your sister? No,
3: the story about my sister. Yeah,
1: I knew it. We we
3: grew up in uh, the Episcopal Church, which many call it like Catholic light. And we went through- Or
1: if you're me, you call it Episcopal. uh,
3: We went through the confirmation process. Uh, The priest took some oil and drew the cross on her forehead. Mm. It's part of the, the ceremony. Unfortunately, she was really allergic to that kind of oil, and it burned like a cross into her forehead, and parishioners ran screaming into the (laughs) streets. There was like this crush mob at the door. People got trampled, and and, um, it was a good time because um, it was much, much easier for us to leave. All the traffic had already left.
1: (laughs) Sure, 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 sure.
3: Okay, that last part was a, a tad exaggerated, but the whole burning cross into the forehead thing was real. Yeah. Um, and she's the sweetest person yeah, ever. Yeah, my
1: sister-in-law is really one of the, the kindest, gentlest people I, I've ever known, but very allergic to a lot of things. <laughs>
3: yes, indeed.
1: You both are. You're both delicate little flowers.
3: Yeah, but I've never burst into flames when mm-hmm. somebody held a crucifix up or anything.
1: Mm, that's true, yeah.
3: Not yet, anyway.
1: So Pizza Pam. Mm-hmm. Is later quoted as saying, there's no way anyone could have played a joke like this. It was real. Donnie was doing it himself. He wasn't doing it with realizing it, but he was doing it. So at this point, it's no longer uh, possible to stay at Pizza Pam's. She's like, Okay then. Bye.
3: Yeah. This is bad for business. Yeah,
1: and don't make
3: me pull out the cash register crucifix again. So
1: Bob and it
3: scares the diners.
1: Bob and Jeannie uh, decided to take Daunton back to their home, and as soon as they left the pizzeria, of course, everything returned to normal. Of course, it did. So they got back to their house, and water begins flowing again, and things take a turn for the weirder. Um, Pots and pans begin rattling in the kitchen, and all of them went into the kitchen to investigate. And at this point, Ron and his wife, the landlords, they are thinking something's up, and they're concerned that someone's playing a practical joke, but it's actually causing damage to their home. So they've right. had enough, right. and they're they're pointing the finger at Dawn. So they're like, "You need to cut this shit out. We don't appreciate this. It's not you know, it's not funny." Blah. blah, blah.
3: You're going to lose your deposit.
1: Well, it's not Don's deposit, so, you know, whatever. That's
3: true. That's even worse.
1: <laughs> so the officers uh, returned. They had left to go get their chief. And Chief Officer Man was a hardened skeptic. He was sure that it was just a plumbing problem. Uh, he ordered the officers to leave and not come back. And don't file a police report because this isn't a police matter. It's a plumbing issue, don't ever talk about this again.
3: We don't want to scare people with plumbing issues.
1: So the next day, the officers did return to the house. Um, they, and they brought uh, two other officers with them, including Bill Davies and Lieutenant John Rundle. So the officers arrived, and they noticed that things appeared to have calmed down. And Davies wanted to conduct an experiment. So he had a gold cross, and he put it into Don Decker's hands, and Don stated that it was burning him. So Davies took the cross back and he described the cross as being hot when he took it back. Hmm. He said, not hot hot, but hot.
3: Wow. Don's grandfather's an asshole. Mm.
1: Then the police officers saw Don levitate and fly up against the wall. No. No. Don recalled of the incident. That's when I levitated off the floor. It was just like floating. Then it was just like a Push. It wasn't like there was someone taking their hand and pushing me. It was like feeling it all over your body all at once. Wow. The officers then noticed claw marks on his neck and blood coming from them. So, around this time, that's when the landlord, Ron, starts calling local priests and ministers over. See,
3: you got to listen to me. <laughs> Don't waste your time with the pizza person next door. Call a priest when pots and pans are flying around your house.
1: Or if you can find some sort of combination, call a pizza priest.
3: That would be hilarious. Right? Wouldn't Pizza priest.
1: The sanctimonious ceremony of pepperoni. Instead of wine and wafers, you get like breadsticks and a half liter of Pepsi. (laughs) Anyway, they were requesting an exorcism, which of course isn't something that you can just call up and be like, could I get you guys come over sometime early next week and uh, we'll do a... Do one of those exorcisms?
3: Also, we want a 12-inch cheese and a two-liter <laughs> bottle of Coke.
1: So Ron convinced an, a preacher to come and attempt an exorcism, which I don't think he got permission from the Vatican, which I think you have to do technically yes. to do an, an exorcism. Yes. Uh, but anyway, uh, the preacher basically just came over to pray with them. And Don began to convulse violently. But the longer that they prayed together, the more peaceful Don appeared. And by the time it uh, was over, Don appeared to be himself again, and uh, the landlord stated that it never rained in the house again.
3: So is this a Catholic priest or a Protestant uh, minister, did it say? Because you said preacher a minute ago.
1: Evangelical preacher. Okay. Because a lot of people said no.
3: Because the Catholic church...
1: So this was about the time that they were like, all right, well, this guy will do.
3: (laughs) Okay. You got to work with what you're given. Right. You know.
1: When Roto-Rooter is not available, you call Bill down the road. So anyway, they prayed a bunch and it stopped raining and uh, they said that things calmed down. So Don has to go back to jail because he is still uh, having been convicted of having received stolen property.
3: Did did it start raining in his jail cell? Because if it does, that's the word. No shit.
1: That's the word.
3: Shot right the hell. So
1: the jail men, guard people, mm-hmm. what do they call jailers? Jail the sure, guards there. Security
3: guards. Um,
1: the lovely employees mm-hmm. of that jail. Right. Are like, hey, cut that out. Mm-hmm. We, no one likes this. <laughs> yeah. And then it, he was sent to the warden's office, where it reportedly started raining inside the warden's office. In the
3: warden's office. Mm. I say, put the guy in the hole.
1: So the warden called a priest who came to the jail. Again, they did a whole praying thing and uh, things settled down. There is some speculation that Don was able to focus on the idea of rain and make it rain. There is some speculation that this was all an elaborate hoax, though how you'd pull that off in a jail, I don't know. And uh, uh, then there is the the whole supernatural aspect of it that that maybe uh, Dawn's incredible emotions regarding the death of his grandfather who abused him uh, was creating some sort of involuntary telekinetic... Yeah. Thing, I don't know. Hmm. Anyway, years later, Don went back to jail for arson. But that's unrelated. The end. I don't know. I mean, how good
3: an arsonist can you be if it's raining everywhere you go?
1: Right? Maybe he just thought, man, no big deal.
3: Yeah, I suppose. Last wow.
1: time I was in jail, it was raining all the time. so
3: Yeah, might as well play with fire. So that's the, the unexplained. We don't have any definitive answer.
1: That is correct. Um, I got a lot of this information from uh, com, from MysteriousUniverse.org, and from the Unsolved Mysteries uh, fan page, uh, which this was an episode of Unsolved Mysteries. Nice. So if you're looking for some Robert Stack action, check out the episode about uh, Don Decker a.k.a. the Rain Man.
2: And now, that thing
3: in the middle. About a year ago at this time, somebody named Psychic Nikki made uh, predictions about the year 2019. We thought this would be a great thing in the middle. Let's uh, take a look and see at how accurate uh, her her predictions turned out to be.
1: In 2019, old-fashioned ice cream parlors will make a comeback. I, I, I mean, maybe that's true I'm not I, seeing it yeah, not seeing I it. wish that it were yeah, the case yeah. I love me a malt
3: Number four Penguins will invade U.S. cities I know you're really sad that hasn't happened to you. I
1: am a little upset about yeah. it, yeah uh, A parrot will break into the White House <laughs> Again, very distraught uh, These predictions have not come true
3: Number two, a politician will strip naked on live TV. That's only a matter of time.
1: Right, we've still got time left in 2019. I, right. be, I believe this yeah. will come true. Mm-hmm. And number one, a ventriloquist will get drunk during a live TV show, and so will the puppet. <laughs>
3: well, that's inevitable. Ooh, this one actually came true. Here's a here's a bonus one. There will be a break in it, Mar-a-Lago. Yeah.
1: Was that true? Did that happen?
3: Yeah, a couple weeks ago. Uh, they arrested... Uh, Somebody from China that had... Uh, How
1: did I miss this?
3: Was arrested for trespassing. Yeah.
1: Mm, I was probably still tired from Thanksgiving dinner.
2: The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth.
3: I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids.
1: I don't know, like a quarter or something.
3: Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together.
1: Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free.
3: Greenlight.com slash oddities.
0: Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. This is the box. Well,
2: well, someone's got break time. <sighs> <clears throat> Okay, break's over. This is The Box of Oddities.
3: Hey, Jess sent us an email at curator at theboxofoddities.com. She said, I had my annual lady bits check yesterday, and I'm on the table in a rather compromising position. My legs are up, and the sheet is over, and the doctor is down there. And she says, okay now. And right at that moment, my phone rings, and the what you got for me starts blaring. (laughs) Doctor pops her head up from between my legs and just stares at me after an awkward silence. She goes, I've got, I've got a speculum for you. (laughs) Needless to say, it was horrifying and glorious all at the same time. It's really weird to be cracking up with a metal tool in your hoo-ha. After a brief explanation and my appointment business done, you now have two new listeners, Dr. Mays and her nurse, Kendra love you guys hey thanks we appreciate that jess thank
1: you everyone
3: that's hilarious do you know who jeremy bentham is
1: the philosopher yes yes
3: english philosopher jurist social reformer bentham defined as the fundamental axiom of his philosophy the principle that it is the greatest happiness of the greatest number that is the measure of right and wrong.
1: Utilitarianism, right?
3: Yes. Very good.
1: Thank you. I love the philosophy of Jeremy Bentham. Uh, you, Your sister and I actually share a very strong belief that the idea of utils is how people should live their lives.
3: Yeah, but she had a cross burned in her forehead mm. at communion one day. This is day. true. This yeah. is true. Any hoozle. He was also regarded as one of the earliest proponents of animal rights. This is all according to Wikipedia. He argued and believed that the ability to suffer, not the ability to reason, should be the benchmark of what he called the insuperable line. If reason alone were the criterion for which we judge who ought to have rights, human infants and adults with certain forms of disability might fall short, too.
1: That's right. It just makes good sense. But one
3: of the things he's probably best known for, Jeremy Bentham.
1: His name is how time looks? No, that's Jeremy Baramy. My bad.
3: Was how Bentham died and what happened afterwards.
1: I actually don't know about this. All right.
3: Bentham died on June 6th, 1832. He was 84 years old at his residence in Queen Square Place, Westminster, London, England. He had continued to write up to a month before his death, and he made very careful preparations for what he wanted to have done after his death. Basically, the dissection of his body and its preservation in an auto-icon.
1: I don't know what that means.
3: An auto-icon. Let me get the exact definition here. An auto-icon is defined as a dead body which is preserved, clothed, and displayed as though still living.
1: Mm, Clothed, huh? All right.
3: You would rather be preserved and displayed without your clothing?
1: No, I mean, I, I, it's not about me. It's, it's, <laughs> it's not about me. <laughs>
3: okay. So as early as 1769, when Bentham was 21 years old, he made a will, leaving his body for dissection to a family friend, a physician and a chemist named George Fordyce. And his daughter, Maria Sophia, had married Jeremy's brother, Samuel Bentham. The paper written in 1830 uh, said that he wanted uh, Thomas Southwood Smith to create an auto icon and uh, he attached this to his will. So on June 8th, 1832, two days after his death, invitations were set out to a select group of friends. Aww. And on the following day, about three in the afternoon, Southwood Smith delivered a lengthy oration. Over Bentham's remains in the Webb Street School of Anatomy and Medicine, which is in Southwark, London. The printed uh, copy of his speech, which is available, the original one anyway, had an engraving on the cover of Bentham's body, partly covered by a sheet. So he was dissected. Afterward, the skeleton and the head were preserved and stored in a wooden cabinet. And uh, the skeleton was, was filled out with hay. They put clothing over the skeleton, but they padded it out with mm-hmm. hay and he was you know he was dressed in bentham's clothing
1: he so he was like a jeremy bentham skeleton scarecrow yes cool
3: ultimately this was acquired by the university college london in 1850 and they put his real head you know his real head was there
1: mm-hmm.
3: uh, it wasn't a skeleton it was his real head
1: with it like the meat and, and yeah okay
3: that was that was left so it remained on public display at the end of the South Cloisters in the main building of the college. However, for the retirement of Sir Malcolm Grant as provost of the college in 2013, it was brought to attend his final council meeting. They just brought him in. Sure. Um, this was the only time that uh, it was taken to a council meeting. However, Bentham's body made its rounds.
1: I love this idea.
3: Or parts of it, anyway.
1: It's like when a family member dies, like let's say uh, grandma dies and you have like a dinner platter yeah. w- engraved with one of her well-loved recipes or something. And then that dinner platter makes it around from family dinner to family <laughs> dinner. And yeah. It's it's a, a way to recall and Pay tribute to a person who meant a lot to you in your life. Sure. Uh, except in this case, it, rather than being like a a platter that you can serve delicious foodstuffs upon, um, it's a, a corpse.
3: Yeah, it, that, that's exactly how I would have put it. Yeah. So he's in this uh, wooden cabinet, the auto icon, and his head starts to look kind of droopy. Yeah it was getting a little ghoulish looking so they took his head off and they replaced it with uh, an equally creepy wax replica cool but they just they just plopped the head down on the floor so it was still there you could look at his head it was just on the floor but where his feet were and they had a you know a oh, wax but
1: still encased it
3: was still encased okay. yes
1: it reminds me of the uh, wizard of oz 2
3: oh the wheelers episode
1: yeah, but that one with the replaceable head. With the
3: replaceable head. Kind of like Manny Faces was in kind he Kind of Man, like Manny yeah, Faces. Yeah.
1: It's more of a spinning, but...
3: Technicalities. So he's at the University College London. He's got a wax head. Yeah. He's sitting in a chair in this uh, display case. And his head is just sitting on the floor. So it became a bit of a, um, a student ritual. College pranks, if you will, to remove his head and take it places, kind of like the traveling gnome.
1: I love that.
3: You love that idea. No,
1: I mean, no. No.
3: Well, there's a long and storied tradition of stealing uh, Bentham's head, and some of the adventures he was taken on were somewhat disrespectful.
1: Oh, no. Yeah, at one
3: point, uh, some of the students used his head to play soccer on the quad. Uh, Others took it all the way to Aberdeen, Scotland, on a train, And it was found uh, much later in a uh, luggage locker.
1: That must have been an uncomfortable discovery. I
3: would think so. Uh,
1: But, like, playing soccer with him, you'd think, you know, bits would...
3: Yeah, yeah, you would think. But but maybe by then it had uh, mummified enough and dried up. You know, just covered in leather, essentially. Sure. Pigskin. How dare you say that about Jeremy?
1: Philosopher's skin.
3: There was an episode of the Brady Bunch that I saw a long time ago, rerun even then. I think Greg stole the rival high school's mascot goat or, or something. Sure. Well, that happened with with Jeremy Bentham's head as well. <sighs> King's College London, their big rival, kidnapped the head and held it for ransom
1: Oh my. at
3: one point. Those wacky college pranksters. Sure. But there have been a lot of weird stories about... Uh, dead people making strange journeys uh, after, you know, they've been supposedly laid to rest. Queen Catherine of Valois, for example, after her death, she was buried uh, with, you know, all the regalia that a royal would be. Mm-hmm. She was put in an alabaster tomb until King Henry the Seventh. It was his grandmother, okay. right? And she had a reputation of fooling around, and he was concerned that his cheating grandmother's monument was a, well, a public relations disaster in the making. Okay. So he had her tomb destroyed, but it kind of backfired because when they were busting up this alabaster tomb, the lid popped off and it revealed that Catherine's corpse was miraculously well preserved <gasps> after a couple of hundred years
1: she incorruptible
3: I don't think by by clergy standards right. she was considered that she was just very well preserved right. she was not a church person she wasn't a um, high-ranking church official that would qualify for sainthood or anything so but they recognized this as, uh, well, this this is a great tourist attraction. Sure. So they took her embalmed body and they laid it in state so people from all over could come and gaze on um, on Queen Catherine.
1: But wasn't the concern that her monument would be yeah. perceived poorly because she was a floozy? Yeah. But it was okay to... Yep. P-
3: See, it backfired. On King Henry VII, he wanted to destroy the monument, but when they they did, they found that she was so well-preserved that the church Mm -hmm. put her on display.
1: Well, couldn't the king have said, no, don't do that? He
3: probably could Grandma was a floozy? Yeah, he could have, but for whatever reason, he didn't. All right. So for generations, Catherine's corpse was a pretty famous tourist attraction.
1: Just seems like such a strange choice.
3: What to put her on display? Yeah, uh, apparently it drew huge crowds. Okay, from all over England. One of the visitors was Samuel Pepys. He was a pretty famous diarist. Uh, he it was kind of like he was like a social media guy back in.
1: Uh, <laughs> he was a blogger.
3: In the 1600s. Yeah, no, no he kept detailed records of day to day life in Restoration London from 1660 to 1669. And in 69, and it was the summer of 69, um, he wrote about visiting the late queen to see her on, on his birthday so he could fulfill a lifelong wish. He wanted to get busy with a corpse.
0: Oh, Oh.
3: A little busy. Not a lot busy, but a little busy.
1: I don't know what that means. Well, he
3: arranged what a view... What does a
1: little busy mean? He
3: he he wanted to get to first base, essentially. Like just a
1: little honk-honk?
3: Yeah. So he arranged to <laughs> view the dead queen in private, but he brought his wife and kids along.
1: I feel like no one should be able to arrange uh, to view a corpse in private. That's <laughs> sketchy AF.
3: <laughs> well, if you're not a family member, especially... So he bribed a guard, and and again, he had his wife and kids with him. So, and this is in his diary, he wrote, It being shrove Tuesday, and here we did see, by particular favor, the body of Queen Catherine. And I had the upper part of her body in my hands. And I did kiss her mouth, reflecting upon that I did just kiss a queen. And that this was my birthday, 36 years old. That I did first kiss a queen.
1: Oh, so he wanted to kiss a queen, not a corpse. Do you think?
3: Well, or- I, I don't know. I don't know if his lifelong dream was to kiss a corpse or to kiss, kiss a queen or to kiss a queen's corpse or to kiss her corpse to say he kissed a queen. It's hard to say. We don't know, Claire. But yeah, he's there alone except for his wife and kids. And he reaches over and he goes <laughs> and, and then kisses her. On the mouth.
1: It doesn't sound like he he herped, herped. Uh, it sounds just like he kissed her.
3: He grabbed her bosoms.
1: What? Yeah.
3: Or where her bosoms would have been. I don't know how well preserved Yeah,
1: that I, would I be, can't imagine you know. that yeah. fat sacks really hold up. Really no, well. probably not. It was a honk, 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 honk,
3: honk,
1: honk. Yeah. Like it was that. one of those situations. Yeah. Well, that's rude. And his wife's just like, Cool.
3: Uh, yeah, kids, um, mommy's gonna take you over here for a moment and we're gonna stare at the wall. Neat. Crap like that happens even to this day.
1: What corpse groping?
3: Not corpse groping, but um doing things to dead people that um like you know, like Jeremy Bentham like then soccer. kicked his head around. Yeah. yeah, and then you know, for for Catherine. Uh Alistair Cook. He was, of course, the host of Masterpiece Theater. Classy guy.
1: I'm sorry. I don't know who this man is.
3: You don't know who Alistair Cook is. Okay. Well, he was a famous journalist and radio uh, presenter, but he was best known for hosting PBS's Masterpiece Theater for decades. He was the
1: guy who sat in the chair. He sat in the chair. Yeah. Right. That's the
3: guy. Got it. So he died at the age of 95.
1: Well done, sir. Yes.
3: And he had cancer. So he fought a good battle, even though he ultimately succumbed to to that. He was 95 years old. His remains were placed in a small funeral home until he was cremated. And then his family, of course, took the ashes and scattered them according to his request. But what they found out much later was that not all of Alistair Cook had gotten back to the family. Oh, no. Cook's corpse had become the target of a large New York criminal gang that traded in stolen body parts. This was a huge story at the time.
1: Like celebrity body parts or just
3: just rando body, parts. body parts. It just so happened that uh, Alistair Cook was one of them.
1: But who wants a 94-year-old body part?
3: What they were doing was harvesting bones. Oh. And okay. so while Alistair Cook was awaiting his final resting place, A disgraced dentist-turned-funeral director, Michael Mastro Mariano, removed most of Cook's skeleton and um, replaced it with, like, PVC pipe. Oh, no. The rest of him was cremated... But the bones were sold to a uh, a firm that turns the stolen bones into dental and orthopedic transplants. And again, this guy died from lung cancer that had metastasized into his bones. Right. Yeah. Now, Mastro Mariano knew this. And so to be safe, he forged Cook's death records to make it look like the bones weren't tainted with cancer.
1: Black market bones are a no-no.
3: That's what my mom used to always tell me. Mm. She would kiss me on the forehead at night and turn my light out and say, black market bones are a no-no. And I'd say, thanks, mom. <laughs> so these guys made millions off of stolen corpse parts.
0: <laughs>
3: they put over 20,000 transplant patients at risk because of their unscrupulous bone harvesting practices. Mastro Mariano spent the rest of his life in prison, and there is no word as to what they did with his skeleton when, when he died.
1: Oh, girl. Yeah.
3: So there's a little journey for you. I was I started out as a Jeremy Bentham thing, but then I started seeing related articles, and I thought, well, you know, we'll throw a couple extras in there. That prior. happens. Yeah, yeah for does. sure. Now, Jeremy Bentham, was that also a name that was used by Locke on... Um, Lost? Lost. Was that one of the philosopher names that he used? He used John Locke. I seem to recall that. And Lost, by the way, was one of my favorite, favorite TV shows until the last episode. And then I just felt like I (sighs) wasted my entire life watching it. Because after episode two, I knew what the ending was going to be. Yeah. And they kept saying, no, 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 it's not that. no." No. And then it was that.
1: So there's an episode of Lost called The Life and Death of Jeremy Bentham.
3: I knew there was some kind of a connection there.
1: All right. So uh, uh, broadcast uh, blah, 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 2009 Locke's fateful mission off the island as Jeremy Bentham is revealed. Okay. There you go.
3: So anyway, there there you have it. A bunch of weird stuff, which is what we do here on the Box of Oddities. And we are just a few weeks away from our very next live show, January 29th. <gasps> So, so excited. It's in Washington, D.C. at the D.C. Comedy Loft. There's still a few tickets left. We would love to see you there. If you're in the D.C. area, please come by and see us. You can find the uh, tickets for sale on our website,
1: theboxofoddities.com.
3: And also tickets for the show after that, which is the end of February in Bridgeport, Connecticut, at the historic Bijou Theater. First time we've done a theater and not a comedy club. So that's kind of exciting.
1: It's so pretty. You should just come to see the the theater. It's
3: neat. Yeah, even if you just come and stand in the lobby.
1: Right. And then boo us. (laughs) JK, don't (laughs) boo us. Please don't.
3: (laughs) Shut that hole in the front of your head that sounds are coming out of. Anyway, it's good to be back. We missed you guys, and we look forward to seeing you next time.
1: Until then, keep flying that freak flag.
2: Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, The Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved.
3: What song did you wake up? with in your head this morning?
1: I've had so many since then, there's no way I can remember.
3: What was the first one?
1: No, I don't remember. I've had so many songs in my head this morning.
3: What song's in your head right now?
1: Holiday. By Madonna? Uh Uh-huh. Well, technically by Adam Sandler. Holiday, celebrate. If we took a holiday, took some time to celebrate.